now to Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, but we're going to continue with the story of uh, Zachariah, Elizabeth, and the coming of John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through to 66. In uh, the uh, mothers and toddlers group, we have uh, some uh, toy dolls that the children like to use. And I picked out two of those for the children's work in the midweek meetings. And I showed them two babies and I said, Christmas is about two babies coming, not just one. And uh, there was a forerunner before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist. And that's the first baby we read about being born in Luke. And that's what we're going to read about tonight. And we can carry on with the story in verse 57. It said, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was... On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias, his mother answered and said, No, he should be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marvelled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all who dwelt around them and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, what kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, please keep your Bibles open there for our little study tonight. I wonder if you've ever heard of Christmas Island. And no, it's not an island where everybody dresses up as Santa Claus. It's uh, an island off the coast of Australia, out, well, quite a long way out of the coast of Australia, uh, in that part uh, of, of the world. And uh, it's a tropical island, but it's an island that is home to a very famous red crab. In fact, there is one crab at least per square metre on this island. And every year, on a certain day, the crabs make a visit to the beach. And they come down out of the jungle, and they don't just come in ones and twos, they have to be kept off the road with fences and they come down with masses and masses and masses of numbers down to the beach for a sort of crab social and uh, I don't know what crabs have for sandwiches, not crab sandwiches but they come down for a crab social and they sort of mix and, and do the things crabs do and then they head on their way back into the jungle and that all happens on Christmas Island 
And you know, when I, when I read about that, I couldn't help thinking, you know, that is just like human beings as well. Because one time of the year, all these human beings come out of their houses and they all come to church and then they all go back home again. <laughs> just like those crabs all coming out of the jungle. And I don't know about you, but I want those people to hear something that's going to change their lives. I want them to be totally transformed. I want them to be shaken by the things of God. And that's why this story about the birth of John the Baptist really speaks to me. Because in this story, we see lots of people who start talking. Obviously, John the Baptist's father, Zachariah, has his mouth loosed after being silenced by the angel. And he starts talking. But we also have Elizabeth's remarkable testimony about the name of John. And Perhaps the unrecognized people who are what this story is really about is the people of the community who start talking. And they all start talking about John the Baptist. And actually, they are the background people are actually the foreground people in this story, if we stop and think about it. Because part of the point of the story is to show how God was raising expectancy for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it started even with the birth of John the Baptist. And this was the baby who got the neighbours talking. And I want the neighbours to be talking. I want the neighbours around Coondown to be talking. We've got lovely neighbours in this neighbourhood. And uh, I thank God for people who are willing to, to talk with all of us and befriend us. But we want them to be talking. We want them to be impacted by the Lord and by the things that we have to share here. So I want to take this story and see what it was that caused the neighbours to be talking about this baby. And uh, see how that can be applied to us as in our evangelistic situation this Christmas. I want to see that they were talking about the mercy of his birth, about the miracle of his name, about the mouth of the father, and about the ministry of his life. Because those are the four things that are outlined here in this passage. First of all, I want you to see they were talking about the mercy of his birth. In verse 57, we see, now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. I like the Daily Mail newspaper. It has not only a lot of serious stuff, it has some light-hearted things in it too. And one of the things it has in there is a, a little thing, a letters page, where people send in pictures of signs that they've seen, perhaps that have been misworded. And somebody went for a COVID jab or a flu vaccine jab, and this was the sign that greeted them. Pregnant over age 65 or over. Now, those are obviously meant to be two categories, but uh, it looked like it was one category, and that's what they were saying. They say, are there people who are having amazing births at 65 years or over? Well, actually, it may surprise you to know that it does sometimes happen. In fact, just recently, there was a 60-year-old mother in the land of Israel who was, uh, I think her husband is a rabbi, and uh, they gave birth to her firstborn son. And uh, sometimes it does happen. And in this story here, we see it happening with Elizabeth. But this is 
something which is miraculous because unlike that lady there who perhaps had never had an opportunity to have a baby before, Elizabeth had not been able to have a child because she was barren. We saw that in chapter 1. Her womb had been closed by the Lord. And in the nature of the, uh, the Jewish community at that time, there was a stigma attached to that. But when the Lord Jesus, sorry, when uh, John the Baptist was uh, conceived in her womb, uh, we read Elizabeth's own words in verse 25 earlier on. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And the neighbours all recognised this. And when John was born and she gave birth to a son, they saw how the Lord had shown her great mercy and they rejoiced with her. And they rejoiced at the mercy of his birth. Now I've really got two things to say about this. The first thing I want to say is this for us as a church. That I pray that God would take away our barrenness. We like many churches around the world, around the country, are not seeing people saved at the moment. I don't know why it is. But there seems to be a change in the, in, in the way uh, things are happening in, in Christianity, at least here uh, in this place where we're, we're not seeing people saved. And it's like being barren. You know, there was a famous Scottish preacher. I can't remember if it was Burns or Robert Murray Machane. But uh, they hadn't seen any people saved in the church since he'd become minister. And he took that prayer of Rebecca from the Old Testament. God... Give me children or I die. And he made that his prayer. And God visited them in his grace and sent them an awakening. Well, you know what? That's, that's what I want to happen here. I want the neighbours to be awakened by the fact that God has visited us. That no longer is this a, a barren, empty little church where nobody gets saved anymore. Where God has in mercy bought new birth that's the first application and those therefore i think we should be praying that god does for us what he did for elizabeth now you may say ah oh, but john you see you know it's the times and you know things that the nation's under judgment and you know we can't expect to see people saved do you know what that's exactly what zachariah said in the temple when he went into the temple and the angel said he was going to have a baby. Well, how's this going to be? I'm old. We're old. And, you know, X, Y, Z is the reason why it can't happen. And it was unbelief in the face of what had been promised. Now, we haven't been promised it. But I, I do think we need to be careful that we don't end up in unbelief saying God can't do it now. He can do it now. And we need to pray for that mercy of new births here. But I want to apply this as well to any here tonight who are not Christians and say Elizabeth had something supernatural happen inside her. There was a new birth that happened as a result of, of John coming. And I want to say this, you know, this, dead, this woman whose womb was dead, spiritually you and I are born into this world dead. We're dead sinners because of Adam in the Garden of Eden. God warned Adam that the day he ate the fruit of the tree, you will surely die. And spiritual death has come into the human race as a result of that. But when a person becomes a Christian, a new birth happens. 
You know, I've been studying the virgin birth a lot this month um, because it's one of those subjects, obviously, that you you end up preaching on at some point over December. And uh, I've been looking at a lot of the uh, different uh, systematic theologies over it over the last few weeks. And one of the things that was highlighted in one book was how there's two Gospels that begin with the virgin birth, Matthew and Luke. And Mark doesn't have any mention of the birth of Jesus. And John doesn't start with the birth of Jesus because he points out that Jesus is God. But the thing that struck me was this. John does start with a miraculous birth. It's the miraculous birth of the Christian. That to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Born of God. A miraculous birth at the beginning of John, which is not a birth without a father, but a birth without a mother. A birth, a supernatural birth by God the Father. Has that happened to you? It can happen to you. You can know the mercy of the new birth today. Being born again. This is what it means to be a Christian. The Lord Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You don't get to heaven by going to church. You don't get to heaven by being religious or even being nice and kind. You must be born again. And if you haven't been born again yet, seek the Lord for the mercy of that new birth. So that was the first thing that got the neighbours talking. It'll get the neighbours talking if you have a new birth too, was the mercy of his birth. Second thing we see was the miracle of his name, because that was the next thing that got them talking in verse 59 to 63. It says in verse 59, So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. Now, different countries have different uh, uh, ceremonies and and ways of marking the birth of a child. I didn't get a chance to put these on the computer, but uh, uh, I found some really fascinating things from around the world. You know, in Spain, they have uh, people who are dressed up in fancy dress uh, to look like evil spirits. And they lay out all these babies on the floor, about a dozen babies, and the man puts... Uh, on his suit and while they're sat there lying on the floor he leaps over them with a flag and this ceremony is supposed to rescue them from evil spirits in their lives this happens in Spain in modern day if you go to Japan you will see men dressed up as sumo wrestlers with their newborn baby children and they bring their babies dressed boys dressed up in their little sumo outfits I mean this is I've got the figure for this this would be great (laughs) and uh, they bring the babies and they bring the two boys facing each other and they don't actually fight or do anything but it's the first one who starts crying is the winner And it's supposed to mark something significant in the birth of, at the beginning of the child's life. There's lots of different things they do around the world. Well, the Jewish people didn't do a pointless custom. They did something that was commanded by God. They circumcised the child on the eighth day. Because this is what God gave to Abraham and Sarah in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis as the covenant sign of the people of Israel, the community of Israel. And circumcision, that which is done in the body by the hands of men, as Paul puts it very diplomatically, is the sign, that is is the ceremony that's acted out on the eighth day. And by the way, science has confirmed, as I've told you before, that the eighth day is the perfect day to do this on because it's when vitamin K 
is at the maximum height in the body for blood clotting and therefore uh, being able to help with the, uh, the circumcision. And how did the Bible know that? It did so because it's inspired by God. And on that day, they also named the child. And the reason why this is so, according to the rabbis, is that when God gave Abraham the, the, the covenant of, uh, that is, is marked by circumcision, on that day, he changed his name and Sarah's name. Abraham, as he was called, became Abraham. An H was put in there. Abraham. The H is the letter H, which is the breath of God. And it's like God breathed into Abraham's name and said, you're going to become the father of many nations. And they put the H into Sarai and she became Sarah. And God breathed into her. You're going to become the mother uh, of the people of Israel. And because of that great and momentous miracle, on this day, they give the name to the Jewish boy. It's uh, in respect of God doing that with Abraham. And it sort of associates them with their Israeli Jewish culture. So it was on this day that they brought John the Baptist to be named when he was circumcised. And the neighbours all thought that he should be called Zachariah. Now, why did they think he should be called Zachariah? Some people think that this is because what they did in those days was that they always named the son after the father. And that's the common interpretation. There's one problem with that. When you read any of the genealogies in the Bible, you will find there's not one son who is named after his father. David didn't call his son David. It wasn't David 2, David 3, David 4. I know families and churches like that, but not in, not in the Bible. They were always given a different name. So why did they suggest that he should be called Zachariah like his father? And my understanding of this is this. That Zachariah, his father, was an extremely old man. And at this stage in the story, he's, he's really old and is quite infirm. And I think they knew he wasn't going to live long. And what they're subtly saying to Elizabeth is, you want another Zachariah to replace the one who's not going to be here very long. You want another Zachariah in the home who's going to be the father and the head in the home. You want another Zachariah who's going to take his father's place in the temple as a priest. Because he was a Levite of of Levitical line. And this was the expectation of the community, it seems. But his mother answered, verse 60, and said, No, he shall be called John. And this is amazing because she wasn't there in the temple when Zechariah was told the name of the baby. Now, you could surmise there's a fair chance that Uh, Zachariah had somehow managed to communicate to Elizabeth that this was going to be the name. But I don't think that that is actually what happened. I think Elizabeth supernaturally knew. You see, Elizabeth is one of my spiritual heroes in the Bible. And the reason is, Dr. Luke looks a lot at Elizabeth and he sees her as a very spiritual woman 
who understood and walked with the Lord and listened to the Lord. Do you remember when Mary came to see Elizabeth? And what did she say? She said, why has the mother of my Lord come to see me? Now, how did she know that? Mary hadn't written her a letter saying, by the way, I'm going to have a baby and he's going to be the Messiah. How did she know that? She knew it because she was walking with the Lord and the Lord had spoken to her. And this is what I see here. She supernaturally knew because she also was walking with the Lord, the name John. And the neighbours are quite shocked at this in verse 61. And they said, there's no one among your relatives who's called by this name. And what do you do if you can't win an argument with one parent? You go to the other parent, don't you? It's like with children. So they made signs to his father, what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote saying, his name is John. So they all marveled. And the miracle here seems to be them, they're marveling because they've both said the same name. Can you see the reaction of the people here tells us this is not just them, them working it out between this. We're going to call him John. There, there's something supernatural coming. And that's why the people are shocked by what has happened. They're affected by it. They both have been given the revelation of the name. And by the way, there's a parallel here with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because who was given the name Jesus to call him Jesus? Mary or Joseph? Both of them. Both of them. Mary was told you will call him Jesus in Luke chapter 1. But to confirm this, that she had had this message, and to confirm to her that Joseph had seen a dream of an angel that told him the truth, he was also told the name Jesus as well. And this is how when they came together, they knew each other was telling the truth. They both had been given the same name. And this is what we see here. It's the miracle of his name in this story. And the point I, I, I want to draw out here is this. Is the neighbours could see from this that God's hand was at work in the miracle of what was happening here. Even though they didn't fully understand it, they could see God's hand was at work. And that's what I want people to know about Union Chapel. <laughs> I want to, they, they may not understand all the things that we do. They may not understand all the, the words we use and the languages. But I want them to know, you know, I don't understand all about those people, but God is at work there. God is at work there. And God is at work in this situation. It also is a precursor, I think, of what is going to happen in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Because these people, they all thought up here they knew what was right. But the coming of John and the coming of Jesus was going to show them, actually guys, what you think is right is not quite right. And this is the way God is saying to us to go. And that's an important lesson for us to learn as well. You know, so many people grow up with their own mindset well, the God I think of would never do this and the God I think of is like this and like that and they get all their thinking out of their own heads about God rather than out of the Bible. And these people have been doing that. You need to call him Zachariah because that's what seems right to us. But no, the revelation of God said his name is John. So there's a lesson there for us to follow as well in the miracle of his name. That also got the people talking. 
third thing I want you to see here is that the people were talking about the mouth of the father. Because in verse 64, uh, we read that after this matter, it says immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he spoke praising God. Now, the background to this, of course, is the fact that when uh, Zechariah had been in the temple, he had been silenced by the angel Gabriel for his unbelief. I wonder if you've ever thought about what that was like. Let me tell you about this lady. Her name is Maria Hefferman. And when she was a young girl of 13 years old, she bit into a Christmas cake and she swallowed something and then she couldn't speak. What she had, somebody had done what they used to do in the olden days, they'd hidden a, three, uh, a, pen, a three-penny coin inside the cake and she had swallowed it. And they'd been to the doctors and they'd tried to get it out. And in the end, they came down to the conclusion, the doctors backed out saying she had some sort of viral infection, she'll be fine if you just wait long enough. Well, 12 years later, she still couldn't speak. In fact, she got married and she still couldn't speak. And then one day, she had a coughing fit and something black came out of her mouth and she found she could speak again. And it was that three penny coin. And she phoned up her mother, and her mother couldn't believe her ears. It was the first time she had heard her speaking in 12 years. Can you imagine the amazing experience of that? Uh, You know, not being able to speak, and then suddenly your mouth is loosened. Your loosened tongue is employed, again, to use the words of Charles Wesley's hymn. And that's the experience that John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, had here. When he acted in faith and wrote down what the angel has said, suddenly his tongue was loosed again and the judgment of God upon him was lifted. This was a miracle and it was supernatural. Now, there's a number of things we can see in this. This whole thing was a picture and a warning to Israel because this had happened one other time in the Old Testament. And I'd be surprised if anybody has, has remembered this story because it's a little story you skim over in your Bible reading without even realising it's there. But it happened to the prophet Ezekiel. And when you have your quiet time this week, spend some time reading Ezekiel chapter 3 and Ezekiel chapter 33. And you'll see that God said to Ezekiel in chapter 3, I'm going to make you dumb Until the time when Jerusalem falls in judgment. And then when the messenger comes, your tongue will be loosed to give prophecies to the people again. And that happened in chapter 33. And that was a precursor to this. And it was a warning to Israel. Judgment is going to come. This was the message John was going to bring. The axe is laid to the root of the trees. You're back in the land. But you're trusting in pharisaical religion rather than real religion with God. Real walking with God in truth, spirit and in truth. And they needed to turn from that as much as they turned from their idols in the past. Well, that was the first point that God was going to make through this opening. But I think there's another thing as well. Just as Zachariah was suddenly able to speak again, 
And the silence was broken. So God was going to break a 400 year silence with the nation of Israel. With the sending of his son, John the Baptist. And this was going to be the first prophet in 400 years uh, who was going to bring revelation and point to the coming of the Lord Jesus. So the loosening of John's tongue, was uh, Zachariah's tongue, was absolutely amazing. And I think Luke must have seen a connection here as well with his other book, which he wrote next, the book of Acts. Because at the beginning of Acts, we find the people of God have their tongues loosed as well. On the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit comes, and they're able to freely declare and praise God because of the coming of the Lord Jesus. There's so many parallels between Acts and Luke. And what does Zechariah do when his tongue is loosed? He becomes not a priest, but a prophet. And in verse 67 through to the end of the chapter, he prophesies first of all about the Lord Jesus and then about his own son, John the Baptist. We'll look at that another year. But you know what? What a, what a picture of a miracle, what a miracle that is uh, that God did there in Zechariah, loosing his tongue from which the angel had bound him. What a personal miracle that was for him. You know, I read uh, in my favourite magazine that I get pulled apart for uh, in Reader's Digest about uh, Alex Kirk, who's a comedian. And one time Alex Kirk uh, made a, a bet with his wife that he could be silent for a whole week. And she said, this is going to be the easiest £20 I've ever won. And uh, he said, no, I reckon I can do it. Well, they, they had this bet and he... he uh, said, I'm not going to speak. And he found he needed to use pen and paper all the time, like a Zachariah with his, uh, uh, his, his writing tablet. But he said it was a difficult experience. And he said, and so in, in, in his diary of it, he says, he said, so ends the diary of a silent man. What have I learned? Well, I can just about get by without talking. And when faced with a daily barrage of oral communication from mobiles, meetings, etc., that's reassuring. But at times I felt very isolated. They've got rid of bus conductors, they're introducing self-checkouts in supermarkets, but it's a mistake. Without chat, I've been missing a part of what makes me human. And you know, for a long time, he found that that was what uh, he was missing, that ability to converse. Well, do you know what? When God sets us free, we find we have a conversation that we never had before. We find we're not just talking on the superficial levels of life. Now we're able to talk about the things of God. We're able to talk with God in prayer and our mouths are loosed. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. And no matter how young or how old you are, when God sets your tongue free and you're able to speak for him, And this is what I pray he will do for all of us. He'll loosen our tongues so we're able to speak for him this Christmas. Then use it. Step out and use it for him. You know what? Sometimes we think, well, you know, it would be easier if I was younger. I can't do the things now because I'm older. Let me tell you about a man who uh, bucked that idea. This gentleman, his name is Nelson Mulwitz. And he was uh, a leading uh, church 
planter in America and uh, he had, had established a growing church and he came to retirement age from the ministry he was in. But he didn't want to spend his retirement years doing nothing for the Lord. So he started applying for Christian work in places. But he found nobody would take him because he was too old. So what did he do? Do you know what he started his own missionary organization for people who are over retirement age? It's called the Finishers Project. And they have 6,000 people on their books who are over retirement age who are ready to go and serve the Lord in different places around America or around the world. (laughs) I like that, don't you? You know, we're never too old to serve the Lord. And may God inspire us when he loosens our tongues to speak for him to go and do so without hindrance. And then finally we see here the ministry of his life was what they were talking about. Because at the end of this, after these uh, unnerving supernatural things, it says in verse 65, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them, and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. You know, as this story comes to an end, we see the people are alerted to John and they're awakened to his ministry right from the outset of his birth by these supernatural things. And they say there's a future here in this child. There's something going to happen here in this child. This is not normal. This is an act of God. Something is going to happen with this child in the future. And it must have given them great hope that God was still working in even the apostatized, backslidden nation of Israel. Someone put it like this. "'Twas the month before Christmas, and all through the land, no message from God had come close to hand. God spoke not a word, nor no sign of his care. For years they had been wondering if God was still there. But God had a plan, a wonderful plan, of good news for every woman and man. And that's where John the Baptist comes in. (laughs) Because he came to bring the message. This is so so significant. They, they, They realized the ministry of John was going to be something significant. They just didn't know how significant because God was going to send his son as well. And you know what? I pray that as the people see the ministry of our lives here, that they will want to know what it is God's doing because God is still alive, still cares for people, still active and still ready to receive sinners to himself. What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. That's my prayer for us, for you this Christmas, that the hand of the Lord will be with you and that God will use you to set the neighbours talking about his grace and his goodness. May the Lord visit us here in Coombe Down as well.